0: Good morning it is wonderful to see so many of you here again today Um, as you will know uh, pastor hayden was supposed to preach today Uh, he will still be preaching but uh, he came down with some sort of a virus or so and so he asked me if i would lead this morning so it's my privilege to do so so I'd like to uh, w- w- welcome you, w- w- whether it's, it's your first time here again after quite some months or you're w- w- worshiping at home, uh, we pray that God will meet uh, with us and, and, and bless us. Our call to worship will come after the first song. i mm-hmm. Worship comes from uh, our source book. The eternal Father who loved us and set us free from our sins, who loves us still with that love that will not let us go, and who will love us forever, calls us to worship him today as the only true lover of our souls. The Lord stoops to receive the love of our pure hearts, He calls us to remember the depth of his love for us in Christ. God seeks our love. Let's pray. Lord our God, we trust your promise to be among us as we gather, whether it's in this building or at home. We come in the name of Christ, drawn by your spirit, eager to hear your word. Set our hearts on fire with love to Christ and prepare us to live as your people in the world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To those who are called, who are beloved in God the Father and kept safe in Jesus Christ, may grace, mercy, and peace be unto you in abundance. Amen. The peace of Christ be with you. You can take a moment to greet those, to wave to those around you as well. have a desire to to be God's people, to be pure, to be cleansed. And so, I invite you to join me for a prayer of confession. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear, and what has become for us a consuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed, and grant us grace to grow more and more in your likeness and image, through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Amen. Hear God's words of pardon. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment, and its inhabitants die like flies. But my salvation will last forever. My righteousness will never fail.
1: Hi, I'm Keith Amaldi here at FIRST, and it's my privilege to lead us to prayer of intercession and thanksgiving. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you for being God who rules supreme. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over us and you take care of us. Lord, you are a good father who loves his children. You are our teacher, our counselor, and our redeemer. God, may you stand by us and comfort us in these turbulent waters. God, we confess to you, we don't often cling to you for our wisdom and strength. We rely on our, our knowledge, our science, our efforts, and not on the creator and sustainer of all. God who reigns, may you give us the wisdom in all we do, Wisdom in our work, wisdom with our family, wisdom with our friends and neighbors, and wisdom in how we live. God, forgive us when we turn to the folly of the world and not to you. Teach us, through your scriptures, how to live and love. Dear Lord, we give thanks with Rob and Rachel Brink as they welcome their baby girl Mariel Eden, into the world. We thank you that the baby and the mother are healthy and doing well. May you bless Rob and Rachel as they nurture Mariel and bring her up in faith. God, we thank you as a church that some of us now can be meeting physically in this building. And we thank you too, Lord, for the technology that we can stay connected through videos. We thank you for the warm weather for us to enjoy. And thank you that some of us have been able to enjoy time and family on vacation and for times to step back and to enjoy your Father, we want to lift up your church here, locally and abroad. God, thank you for first. May you give the leaders, Pastor Hayden and Ken, your spirit to guide us. May you give your elders and deacons guidance to nurture us. And may you give us all the burning desire to be the loving body working together as one, even as we're scattered at times. Jesus, our teacher, may you be with all those in our church who are in the process of discerning their next steps, especially in the school year to come, whether it may be elementary or secondary or university or college or work. Father, may you guide your children and parents and give them your wisdom and peace in decisions we have to make in the midst of COVID. And God, we ask you to be with our partner churches, especially our fellow church, Faith CRC in Burlington, and with our true city church, Central Presbyterian, just down the road. May you uphold them in their ministries and mission. And God, as the whole world has been hit with a pandemic, may your church and gospel grow and develop, even in these times. Grow and strengthen your global church. We ask. We thank you, Lord, that you hear our prayers. We love you, and we thank you for being our loving God. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.
2: This is a reading from Isaiah fifty-one, one through six. The Lord says, "Listen to." You who want to do is right. Pay attention, you who look to me. Consider the rock you are cut out of. Think about the rock pit you are dug from. Consider Abraham. He is the father of your people. Think about Sarah. She is your mother. When I chose Abraham, he did not have any children. But I blessed him and gave him many of them. You can be sure that I will comfort Zion's people. I will look with love and concern on all their destroyed buildings. I will make their deserts in like Eden. I will make their dry and empty land like the Garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be there. People will sing and give thanks to me. Listen to me, my people. Pay attention, my nation. My instructions will go up to the nations. I make everything right. That will be a guiding light for them. The time for me to set you free is near. I will soon save you. My powerful arm will make everything right among the nations. The islands will put their hope in me. They will wait for my powerful arm to act. Look up toward the heavens, then look, to, then look at the earth. The heavens will vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like clothes. Those who live there will die like flies. But I will save you forever. My, my saving power will never end. This is the word of the Lord.
3: Psalm 138 Lord, I will praise you with all my heart in front of all those who think they are gods. I will sing praise to you. I will bow down facing your holy temple. I will praise your name because you are always loving and faithful. You have honored your holy word even more than your own fame. When I called out to you, You answered me. You made me strong and brave. Lord, may all the kings on earth praise you when they hear about what you have decided. Lord, may they sing about what you have done, because your glory is great. Though the Lord is high above all, he cares for the lowly. Though he is in heaven above, he sees them on earth below. Trouble is all around me. But you keep me alive. You reach out your hand to put a stop to the anger of my enemies. With your powerful right hand, you save me. Lord, you, sh- you will show that I was right to trust you. Lord, your faithful love continues forever. You have done so much for us, so don't stop now. This is the word of the Lord. This is a reading from Romans 12, 12, verses 1 through 8.
4: Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully.
3: This is the word of the Lord.
5: A reading from Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. This is the word of the Lord.
6: Good morning, church. As we open up God's word this morning, I just want to begin uh, with a word of prayer. Uh, Would you bow your heads with me? Father, uh, as we uh, hear from you uh, and your word for us this morning, we pray that uh, you would bless um, the words that come from my mouth. Um, Father, open up our hearts uh, and our ears and our minds to receive these words. Um, In your spirit, um, uh, just uh, encourage us by them and uh, change change us through them. In Jesus' name, amen. The late uh, author Henry Nowen tells us a story in one of his books about a man named Fred. Fred uh, contacted Henry to set up a time that they could have an interview. Uh, Fred worked for the New York Times as a columnist. And when they sat down in Henry's office, midway through their conversation, it became clear that Fred didn't want to be doing what he was doing. It was clear to Henry that, that Fred was in the interview, but he wasn't really in the interview. He, he didn't have any sense of, of his passion for, you know, his, his work. And so when the interview uh, wrapped up, Fred uh, closed his notebook and was about to head out of Henry Nowen's office at Yale. And uh, Henry looked at him and asked him a question point blank. He said, Fred, do you like your job? To Henry's surprise, Fred answered the question quickly and answered, No, not really. No, I don't like my job. But it's a job. And Henry thought about this for a moment before replying, But if you don't like it, why do you do it? Money, of course, said Fred. I love to write, but, but I don't have the freedom to write what I want to. But what choice do I have? I have to make a living. You know how many of us have felt this way before? The feeling that we aren't really doing or being or giving ourselves to what we really want to or feel driven to. Unfortunately, we all know this feeling. Even when we're doing things that we love, we, we all battle discouragement. Our passion is inconsistent. Even in areas where we do feel full of energy and passion, there are things that always get in our way and can take the wind right out of our sails. You love your kids, you love being a parent, but why do they have to do this? You enjoy your work, but but you look around and you see the impact that you're having and it's not as significant as you had hoped. And it seems so easily undone by others. You see and are excited to learn about the world through your school, but when you learn about the injustice in our world, you think to yourself, what can I do to make a difference? Or you play sports and love it, but you can't get away from the sneaky feeling that, that you aren't good enough as a player, and it takes the fun right out of it. Whether we realize it or not, there is Fred in each one of us. What do we make of it? what are we to do? Do we just walk around um, half full all the time? The Bible's answer to this question is that we need salvation. And not just salvation once, but salvation every single day. And so this morning, what we see in these passages in the lectionary, woven through is the salvation, the great, the wide, the deep salvation of our God. And so that's what we're gonna look at this morning, the reach of salvation, the promise of salvation, and the life of salvation. So first, the reach of salvation. What do I mean when I say salvation? Salvation is a churchy word. And often we think of salvation meaning, you know, God taking the good people to the good place when they die and bad people go into the the bad place. But this idea doesn't really help us right here, right now, as we sit in our our living rooms or in in our pews. And so thankfully, the Bible doesn't talk about salvation like this. John Wesley, the great British theologian, inches us closer to what the Bible means when it talks about salvation, when he puts it like this. He, he He puts it so well. He says, by salvation, I mean not barely deliverance from hell or going to heaven, but present deliverance from sin, a restoration of the soul to its original health and the renewal of our souls to the image of God. And so what Wesley is saying here is that salvation is actually an ongoing work where God takes something that's broken. He takes us as broken people here and now and begins the process of making us what we were meant to be. Salvation is the act of God in us and our world where where God takes us and makes us what we were meant to be. This way of talking about salvation is what we see here in the passage in Isaiah this morning. Look at Isaiah 51, 4 and 5 with me for a moment, where Isaiah says, Listen to me, my people. Hear me, my nation. Instruction will go out from me. My justice will become a light to the nations. My righteousness draws near speedily. My salvation is on the way and my arm will bring justice to the nations. Notice the time frame of God's salvation. He said, my salvation is on the way. What is God's salvation that's on the way? Well, it's the salvation that reaches us even today inside us. God's salvation works in us to overcome our doubts about ourselves and our world. Look at the beginning of Isaiah 51. The passage points out to the nation of Israel where they came from. It says, look to the rock from which you were cut. It says, look at Abraham, look at Sarah. See, both Abraham and Sarah were, were nothing before God took them and blessed them. From them came the promise, the covenant, and the nation of Israel. Through Abraham, through nothing, God blesses them and makes them something and renews them and restores them. This is the reason why Isaiah is pointing this out here in this passage is because he promises to do it again. Isaiah says, look back to what God has done in the past. God is going to do it again in the future because that same blessing is on us as believers in Jesus. We are the children of Abraham by the new covenant. We are brought into the family of God through Christ, not by our own doing as Paul says, it's a gift, it's a blessing from God. This is an identity. This is who we are. We are the blessed ones. This is such good news for people like us who live in a world that tells us that what we are what we make ourselves to be, right? Our culture wants us to look inside us and decide for ourselves what our identity is. And this is, this is true freedom, right? Maybe it sounds like freedom until the pressure builds. I was talking with a young man a little while ago who was saying something to, to me that struck me. He says, I don't know who I am, And I'm told nobody can tell that to me. I have to find it for myself. But the salvation uh, of God reaches inside each one of us and says that we and our world are loved and blessed not because of what we do, but because of who we are. We belong to God, body and soul. In life and in death, this is a gift. This is the reach of God's salvation inside us. But God's salvation also reaches outside of us and tells us something about our world. The Old Testament authors place an emphasis often on the justice of God's salvation. The, the justice of God to reach into broken social system, to set captives free. This is, you know, look at verse six in this Psalm where David says, Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees them from afar. The God of the Bible is a God who is for the poor, for the oppressed. One person I was reading this week put it like this. They said, if we want to get to know God and his salvation, we must get to know the poor, the oppressed, and the hurting. Throughout the whole Bible, God is doing this. He's constantly speaking of, for those who don't have a voice, acting for those who, who are oppressed, healing those who are hurting. See, salvation reaches our world through restoring brokenness. Look at Jesus, this is, this is his mission, right? All hit all the time in the world for the poor and the oppressed in God's salvation. We don't have to scratch and claw to be heard. He sees the lowly from afar. This is good news for those who are broken. This is good news for, for the oppressed. God is is a God who sees these people. There's more about salvation nestled in these passages too. The scope of God's salvation is wide and it reaches It reaches so far in our world and our relationships with each other. It's so much wider than going to heaven when we die. It's for here and now. It's everywhere. But quickly, when we hear of a salvation like this, when we hear of such good news, we can think to ourselves, well, who is this for? How can we have this blessing? How can we be a part of the richness of this salvation? Right, what are the entry requirements? And Peter's confession in the Gospel of Matthew assures this for us, answers this for us. In many ways, Peter is so much like us, right? His faith was often hot and cold. It was the extremes. He he struggled with consistency. He faltered often. And sometimes when I think about Peter, I think he would have have struggled about his confidence in in being a part of God's salvation story. But I also can't help but wonder if this experience with Jesus at Caesarea Philippi would have been of great comfort and assurance for him. This is the time when Jesus asked him, and, his, and the disciples around him. You know, who do people say that I am? And after responding with, you know, people's public opinion of Jesus, Peter gets up and responds with one of the most significant statements in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, who is Jesus? You are the Christ, the Messiah. What is so significant about this is that one of the meanings of the word Messiah is promised salvation. This is, 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 Jesus is caught up in this salvation story. Peter is confessing him to be the one that Isaiah was pointing to when, when Isaiah prophesied about God's salvation that was on its way. When Jesus, when Peter makes this confession, He is saying that that salvation has arrived. But just as striking as the actual confession is what comes after, how does Peter come to know this? Is it because he is so smart? Is it because he's so holy and devout? Is it because he lived and walked with Jesus? No. None of these things. It isn't because of who Peter is. It's because of what God has revealed to him. Jesus says that it's it's not been re, it's not it's been revealed it has been revealed to him not by flesh and blood but by his father in heaven. John Calvin talks about the assurance of faith when he says that faith totters when it pays attention to works since no one even the most holy will find anything on which to rely. When we boil it down, you know, the good things we do, even the most holy and good people, it, it won't be enough. Peter's confession shows us this. It isn't by Peter being a good person that he comes to confess Jesus as the Messiah. No, it's because of God, his father in heaven. On top of that, what, what happens to us when we focus on our works is that we will always be haunted by that question you know, how do I know that I've done enough, been enough to be invited into this salvation story by Jesus? What if God knows and sees my deepest brokenness? Am I still invited to be a part of this salvation story? What if God knows this about me? Am I, am I still invited into this salvation story? The answer is yes. We are invited into God's salvation story. Peter is invited into God's salvation story, not because of anything that he's done, but because of Jesus. How can this be? We we know that Peter struggled. He doubted, he even betrayed Jesus, when, when he was asked if he was a follower of him a little while later, how can Peter be a part of this salvation story? How can we? Because Jesus Christ, the promised salvation, the ultimate one, the perfect one, the righteous one, traded places with us when he went to the cross. On the cross, Jesus opened himself up to destruction. The opposite of salvation. He, he descended into hell for us. The justice of our sin, what we deserve was laid upon him when he died on that cross. And so we can only come into the life of salvation through confession. A confession that Christ is our ultimate one. He's the one who has done what we could never do, earned the life that we long for, and it's given to us as a gift. And we are invited into that story by confessing him as our Lord. What is the life of salvation that Jesus invites us into? Well, it's a life of offering ourselves to Jesus. Paul puts it like this, offer your bodies as a sacrifice. This is your true and proper worship. I think I've said this before, but the Greeks had this idea of capital T truth, right? The reason for everything, and they called it the logos, the word. And this is what John picks up in his gospel in the first chapter. The word became flesh. The logos, the reason, the the ultimate became flesh. And Paul uses that word here to describe our worship. True and proper worship, logos worship, ultimate worship is when we offer our bodies as living sacrifices. This means that any time that we seek to respond to God's gracious gift in Jesus, the the being invited into this great and grand salvation story, when when we seek to respond by offering ourselves to God, it's when we participate in this life. That is what it means to live the life of salvation. It is to continually offer ourselves to God. But when we talk about this, it leads us to ask questions, good questions, like, you know, what talents do I have? What am I good at? What can I offer to God? Or how do I offer myself to my kids every day? Or my career? Or my school? And these are good questions, but again, the the author Henry Nouwen challenges these questions. And he says, slow down don't speed up too quickly to that sort of application. And he puts it like this. He says, when focusing on our talents, we tend to forget that our real gift in the world is not so much what we can do, but who we are. The real question is not what can we offer each other, but who can we be for each other? No doubt it is wonderful when we can repair something for a neighbor, give helpful advice to a friend, offer wise counsel to a colleague, or bring healing to a patient. But there is a greater gift than all of this. It's the gift of our own life that shines through all we do. He goes on and finishes with this. He says, When I ask myself the question, who helps me the most? I must answer, the one who's willing to share their life with me. Isn't that such a profound statement? The one who is willing to share his or her life with me. That's the person that helps me the most. That's the person who's the most real. Can we be that for each other, church? Can we be that for our world? Isn't this what Jesus did? The life of salvation, it begins with a confession. Jesus is my Lord, my all, the ultimate one in my life, the reason for everything that I do. Therefore, I am free to be hidden to you, for you, as your pastor, in all that I do, in all that I'm good at, and all that I'm bad at, and all that I'm working on, because we are invited into this salvation story that is a work in progress. We can be ourselves to each other in our world, broken people, works-in-progress people, with sometimes more questions than answers, but confident, confident that God is at work in us. His salvation is renewing us daily and making us into something more and more Beautiful. Offer ourselves to each other. Offer who we are to each other. In the name of Jesus, thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, um, we are just so thankful that that you have uh, invited us into this story of what you're doing in the world. The scope of your salvation is so great. We can hardly even comprehend it. And Father, um, I pray that we would be a people that confess you in all spheres of life as the ultimate one. Father, would you send your spirit to be with us, empower us, and fill us to be ourselves to the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.
2: Our first offering this week will be taken for the ongoing ministries of this church. Our second offering this week will be taken for Christians Against Poverty Canada as part of our commitment to them as a partner church. Next week's second offering will be taken for the Benevolence Fund. This fund allows the deacons to provide financial assistance to those in crisis. We encourage you to continue giving generously and keeping these organizations in your prayers.
0: I invite you to stand, please. As you leave the sanctuary of our Lord today, may you know the hope to which God has called you, experience the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and trust his incomparably great power to us who believe. And may the blessing of God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you and those you love. Amen.